There's a where are the Ravens at for you, Zach? I I, I still don't like them, um, and not I mean not per not not on a personal level, of course. Like I you know I I have no issue with any of the teams in the OUA. Whether teams have issues with me is a different question. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are on the pod to break down week four in the OUA. And Nate, I'll start off with a simple question to get the ball rolling. Was this the first bad weekend of football? Bad, bad, uh, you know, maybe objectively, you know, uh, bad, slow, you know, blowouts galore, whatever you want to say about it. Um, I mean, as far as the quality of action, you know, once it got past the first half in, a, in many of these games, uh, you know, things got a bit out of hand. But I think it's still, you know, from a results perspective, playing the results is pretty interesting. And, you know, I think we'll get into it later. But a couple of those games uh, really had the potential to be close. But a couple key turning points, especially um, in the Carlton-Queens game and the Guelph-Ottawa game in particular, where, you know, those teams had a chance to really make it a close game at one point, And then, you know, a couple really key plays uh, ended up, you know, with them getting out of hand in the end. So, I mean, we'll get into it, but, you know, I feel like we were due for one of these. We were due. Yeah. No, I, I you know, the outcomes were where I thought they would be in these games, but not necessarily how I thought they would happen, save for I did think Queens was going to roll Carlton. So that worked out well. When it was like 7-6 in that Toronto-Windsor game, I'm like, okay, finally, like a game worth watching. And then they obviously pulled away. But we'll get into that momentarily. Uh, With us passing week four, we won't dive into the stats. Figured, you know, we'll give every team a chance to play their four games before that really is, you know, worthwhile doing. But just taking a look at the standings as they sit right now, we have Western still on top at 3-0 undefeated. Queens and Ottawa both at 3-1. Carlton 2-2. Windsor and uh, Wilford Laurie at two and one. Then we have Waterloo one and two, and then everyone else at one and three. That is Guelph, Toronto, Mac, and York. Um, I'm forgetting if I posed this question to you at, uh, last week or if I asked the Tom leading into this past weekend. But are are there any surprises when you look at those standings? Obviously, it's still fairly early in the season, but the halfway point is creeping up. Um, as far as teams sort of slide into where we think they'll be, obviously Mac the forfeited loss would have had them at two and two, and then um, you know obviously with the loss to Carlton would have had them, I guess, above Windsor and all that jazz. Um, but just when you look at these standings right now, is this sort of, is this making sense for you or are, are there a few things that kind of give you pause? I mean, uh, a couple of surprises. I think the first being, you know, Guelph and kind of where we had them, I think where a lot of people thought they were going to be at this point and, and, you know, really, I, I feel like every time I look, I watch a, a Guelph, broadcast all they talk about is how young the team is how young the team is and uh you know at this point i think i'm ready to listen you know what i mean because <laughs> uh this team is absolutely not where it was last year um and you know i think that was evident sort of maybe in the windsor game but we thought maybe windsor just kind of has had guelph's number over the past couple of years but then really this week in ottawa kind of demonstrating that whoa you know guelph i don't think is definitely not kind of where we had them pegged at the start of the year um mac a bit surprising being one and three, but I think kind of, you know, the whole uh, off the field uh, administrative stuff is sort of the answer for that. And I think, um, you know, for me coming off that game last night, I think Windsor, I think Windsor's kind of, you know, proven themselves. And I think going into the week, I thought, you know, this team can't even throw the ball. But as it turns out, you know, they can have a bit of a balanced attack and kind of have finding their guy in, in Skelton will kind of prove to see, you know, the move up the rankings. And I think lastly um, is Ottawa. And I think this was a team that we had a lot of question marks about kind of like a him ha kind of performance last year. But I think, you know, kind of looking at how that defense has played um, over the first few weeks, you know, this is a team that, you know, can be right up there in that, that game against Queens where it was close. It definitely wasn't a fluke. That's for sure. Yeah. And you talk about Danny Skelton really coming into his own. I mean, Ben Miracle uh, probably, I, I'm saying this without looking through all his box scores over the, the last couple of years, willing to bet that was his best performance in an OUA football jersey. Um, you know, for me with the Gigi's, um, you know, I, I love what we've seen from them defensively. I mean, I can't I can't say enough about that defensive secondary and their linebacking core are so good. And offensively, you know, it's 
Ben's clearly taken a step. I had reason to believe I didn't I didn't think we were going to see Oladejo back for them. I didn't think we were going to see J.P. Simmonkinda back for them. Um, and just those guys being back in the fold and having that continuity with him, it, it's it's they are such I just inject Ottawa Gigi's football into my veins, baby. I, I I'm loving them. And yeah, you mentioned Windsor too. Um, you know, going back to that opening game, it's they played each other so tight. Um, I think that's one of those things that we can really look back on and be like, yeah, that made a lot of sense actually that these two teams, um, obviously uh, Ottawa with the extra game oh, um, on, on Windsor having their buy already has them higher in the standard standings, but two teams that I think most people would look at as being like, hey, all right, I like what I'm seeing here. But yeah, you, and you mentioned Guelph. Guelph's, who knows where Guelph's at. Um, a, where are the Ravens at for you, Zach? I, I, I still don't like them um and not i mean not per not not on a personal level of course like i did you know i i have no issue with any of the teams in the oua whether teams have issues with me is a different question i you know we'll, we'll get to that game i think uh there is definitely evidence that has highlighted uh some key issues with that team that will prevent them from going um deep in the standings obviously the extra playoff team you know um maybe we can talk about who might be falling short of, of the playoffs and Carlton maybe can still squeeze out a home playoff game in the first round, possibly. Um, but whew, I'm looking at, just looking at the schedule for next week, Windsor at Carlton. Um, Hey, we're, we're sorry. We're, we're getting all over the place now, but that's definitely the game. One of the games that popped up to me, popped out to me. Looking at the standings, but let's get into the action from yes. Or apologies. Let's start with a little hardware. Uh, we'll get back to how we normally do things. I won't throw any curveballs your way. At least on this front, let's start with offensive players of the week. Um, I'll give you first shot at this, and normally we do like to switch it up. It's hard not to be in lockstep on this but since i believe we are highlighting an individual from your alma mater i'll, I'll let you speak on this person yeah and i think I, you know sort of from an offensive perspective there's one guy that kind of stood above the rest this weekend and that's james keenan um really you know a master class uh a clinic you know whatever kind of word you want to throw out there it absolutely was that um 19 of 22 364 and four tutties on the day uh, that might be better than any any game I had, Zach. Uh, you know, and that's I don't know if that's not saying much or you know what what I'll let that be up to the fans. But I mean, it really wasn't. You, <laughs> you still sorry, but you still have the the Queen's record on longest touchdown reception uh, t- touchdown pass. Do you not? That's correct. That's correct. That is correct. We won't talk about how that happened, but anyways, <laughs> continue. But uh, I mean, really, like just having total command in terms of that game, um, whether it be you know extending plays. Uh, making plays on and off schedule, um, a bit of coach speak there, but, you know, really kind of coming off of like, you know, sort of the, you know, loss last week against Western and sort of knowing where they need to go to be able to compete with them. It's going to be need to be that offense that kind of hits the next year, next level that's able to kind of keep up with them. Um, and a performance like this makes me think, you know, that they can possibly get there over the course of the next few weeks. So definitely a stellar performance from, from James. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, looking at some of the other performances, um, actually I'll I'll say one thing on on Keenan only rushed the ball one time, um, which obviously, you know, me and Tom were kind of talking about them having like a four headed uh, running attack, um, including him and the beast in in the mix. Now it might be a a five headed beast with this, (laughs) Yan Longa putting up 112 yards and three touchdowns uh, seemingly out of nowhere we could talk about him a little bit more I know you did a little research on that when we get into that game Um, but him only having to rush once I I feel like if you are Queens like he can obviously kill you with his feet but if you don't need him if you don't need a risk injury especially a game like this it's like why do that and we obviously got to see well Vrenik got in really late, but you know, it's yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you opened it being like it was a master class. I mean, 19 for 22, four touchdowns, but you know, trying to just give a little shine to some other guys around the league. Um, let's, I'm gonna go with another guy that you should, you do deserve the chance to speak on this guy because he's someone that I'm a big fan of, but you obviously are, uh, are closer to, and that's that is young Mr. Ben Miracle, uh, 16 for 27. 288 in the, in the air and three touchdowns um one being the touchdown hurt around the province that we'll get into in that game um that was uh well 
anyways, we'll save that one. But like I said, I'm willing to bet his best performance in the OE way. And, you know, they were still able to rush the ball effectively. But, you know, if that passing attack is more than I know, we kind of use the cliche of him being just having to be the game manager type thing and let the defense do what they do. Let them rush the ball. They still had a great kicker in Campbell Fair, and they'll be able to win games. But my goodness, that's what you know we would expect or look for for them to be able to go from that you know level of just like um, a good regular season team to like making some noise in the playoffs. Playoffs is if Miracle is continuing to make steps with that. So I'll shout out Ben Miracle on that front. Uh, defensively, who do you like? Well, I mean, for those guys and, you know, also for my reputation, uh, you know, having ties there, uh, you know, I don't want to see I'm a bit of a QB developer, guru, whisperer, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much James learned his first year at Queens. You know, I don't know how much Ben learned in that that year we had together with the Kingston Grenadiers. But, uh, you know, I'll leave it up to everybody else to to, to see, you know, what, how much they think I, I played in sort of uh, their performances uh, and how their careers have developed. We'll leave that one out in the ether. (laughs) Uh, I'll move on to defense. And I think I'm going to switch it up a bit from what we talked about, because, you know, in sort of a week that was defined by blowouts and really defensive performances, I'm going to go with an Ottawa player and James Peter um, going with 10 total tackles and, and a TFL on the day. But I mean, really just only to say to highlight really that off that GG's offense in general defense, sorry, in general, and sort of how they were all over the field against the Griffins and sort of really stymied an offense that, you know, I was really bullish on going into this week, especially after that Waterloo performance. And you know what? Going forward, maybe not the best idea to judge offenses based on how they do against Waterloo. But nonetheless, you know, this this Ottawa defense coming in and, and shutting down a, a team that had, you know, what was it, 45 points last week and holding them to, to 10, 11. I mean, that's some kind of feat, right? So uh, shouting out James Peter and that, you know, Ottawa defense in general. Um, yeah, you know, you making that comment about not judging people about how they play against Waterloo, that's uh, the McMaster community is not going to take that well, and they're already kind of getting after us a little bit. But, you know, I, I hopefully this will settle some of their some of their discrepancies with us because I will shout out Teo Smith on that McMaster defense getting the pick six early in the game, which unfortunately I wasn't able to see because it was during the part of the the, the early part in the first quarter where uh, the broadcast wasn't able to get up. Um, but, um, you know, that was it opened up the scoring for them, I believe. And then, um, you know, it kind of just snowballed from there. And, you know, we... Uh, some of the things we've said about this team so far defensively they've been pretty solid and able to shut out a Waterloo team that was able to put up some big numbers against the Guelph defense but to invoke what you just said about judging one team based on their performance against another after we saw what Ottawa did to the Guelph defense you know maybe we can say the same thing about judging teams based on not judging teams based on how they do against the Guelph defense we sure saw what Windsor was able to do in the run game I mean let's throw the western game to the side because you know that's they're they're the outlier of all outliers with uh in this league but uh yeah Teo Smith pick six it's hard not to give a guy uh his flowers when he gets a play like that uh let, let's finish it up where where we we usually do say for last week and uh give our special teams awards out who do you like in yeah it was a guy who you know unfortunately for the team was out on the field a lot and that's the punter um you know with 10 punts on the day but I'm going with Dante Mastro Giuseppe um you know Got to give our flowers to the punters every now and then. Four punts inside the 20. Um, unfortunately, you know, Windsor's still able to kind of be okay regardless of the field position. But, you know, really kind of an elite performance from a punter. And I think that's worthy of uh, some praise every now and then. And shout out to Dante. Uh, great dude all around. Um, I'll also... Um give a shout out to a kicker and uh once again this isn't in a, in a, a diplomatic attempt to mend any relationships but i'm sticking with the mcmaster marauders and shouting out ben mcdonald who did the kicking and punting for them on the day four for five on his field goals and five punts on the day product of their offense being as efficient as it's been all year long two inside the 20 um average of 36 so not no not not master giuseppe yards but more so looking at the four for five on the field goals was uh you know 
Good day for young Mr. McDonald there in the fold. So that'll wrap up our Player of the Week awards there. Let's hop into the action, starting with the first game of the day, the noon start in Ottawa, where we saw the Ottawa GGs lay 46 on the Guelph Griffins. Final score, Ottawa 46, Guelph 10. Should we get... I mean, we obviously need to say something about the Oladejo touchdown. I love Daniel Oladejo. He's a great dude. He's a great wide receiver. We should probably say something about it. Should we just get it out of the way off the jump? It wasn't a touchdown. I mean, it, yeah. like it, it, you know, it's tough when you see something. I mean, as a referee, you know, I'm sure those guys, when they see a magnificent play like that, they want, you know, to award the player if it's close. And in full speed, you know, maybe a look close but that's you know one of the problems when you're at that td place and you get the broadcast value there and having multiple angles on the replays is you can kind of see uh that that one was not even close to be honest with you um you know well i that maybe that's a bit harsh because i think what what sort of fooled the official was that you know the one foot landed out of bounds but the other one he did trip the pylon over so i think you know if I was trying to explain that one from the official's perspective, I think that's what really did it for him. And uh, I could tell you the, you know, another thing about the broadcast is they love those sideline shots. And I could tell you the Guelph side was not happy at all. Uh, guys running over with the iPad, trying to show the officials, which I mean, Hey, we've all been there. I think, you know, every team in the league has, has been doing that at one point or another, trying to show the officials where they went wrong. But in that case, they're absolutely right. That one was not a touchdown. Um, and while, you know, I don't think that was the difference in the game, it definitely was sort of a backbreaker in terms of morale and really pushing that game out of hand. You know, I, I want to say, and yeah, like it wasn't a touchdown. Um, I was so, I was like, as soon as I saw it and I, I didn't even, you know, from at first glance, I guess I fell for what the receipt, the pardon me, the, the officials did. Cause I was so close to tweeting out like Daniel Oladejo. And since it is a touchdown, maybe this comment is still valid, but he had one of the 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 prettiest touchdowns last season, and I was like, oh, he's going back-to-back years having the nicest receiving touchdown. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to put that out there on Twitter. But I believe, you know, I the one thing that I think is worth kind of looking at with that touchdown, and, and as you said, I do think it wasn't where the game ended up, and Ottawa, I think, had shown by that point that they were pretty well in command of the game on pretty well every aspect but there's something to be said because I think it was still only 19 to 7 at that time. How much a play like that just absolute like it, it's just such a kick in the nuts where like as a as a team on the road, it's a 6-hour road trip getting out there and you're already down and then that happens. You know, I'm not trying to make excuses for Guelph in that in in that regard because you know, I've already said how much I love this GG team, and I, 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 I mean, I picked Ottawa going into the game. I thought they were the better team, and they proved they are. There's something to be said though about how much that's just such a, a blow to your team, and you could see it's starting to get chippy a bit late. And you know, but I can tell you that wasn't yeah. the only play. Like, and I think you know, Ottawa definitely the better team at the at the end of the day. But sort of that first half, the game was close. It was cagey, and really, what it came down to for me, uh, following this one closely, is Guelph had you know two key third down attempts that were sort of, you know, midfield, either just in GG territory or, you know, yeah, just across midfield. And both times on like a third and two, you know, didn't get it the first time. Ottawa, I think, went down and got points. And then another drive, it seemed like the next one or the one after that, the same thing happened on a key third down going into GG territory. Another turnover on downs and sort of, that GG team again being able to convert. And that was really sort of going into halftime. Um, what really hurt the Griffins and I think, you know, hurt their morale because it was a close game up until that point and sort of two huge plays like that by the defense. And it really shows kind of the maturity of where, you know, Ottawa's at. I know we mentioned it a bit last week um, about how they were able to make big plays at clutch moments, but this is another example of it again and uh, really give them momentum to just roll in the second half. Yeah. And, it, it should be noted, still no Clark Barnes in this one for Guelph. Obviously, that didn't slow them down last week at Waterloo. Your point, though, will repeat whether we need to, should be judging teams too much by what they do against uh, Waterloo defensively. Um, not a shot. It's just based on some of the results that we've been seeing, right? But, you know, Jake Helfrich, I, I kind of 
stumbled between the, the Frick and the Fritch there. Jake Helfrich, we'll go with that. Um, this was not a good day for him. And I've said I said it already on this podcast and other podcasts. I'll say it again. This GG secondary is is a nightmare. I, I, you know, my, my Kevin Victome, like this this guy is as good a corner as there is in this league this year. I mean, the the, the interception, forty one yards, an additional breakup. I already commented that like it, you know, it seems like a a small thing at corner, but like his tackling, I think has improved as well from like years past as well. Uh, Cumberbatch, you know, you already talked about James Peter, um, Dolly while we shout out last week, uh, Christopher, like so good, but I, I want your take on this as a former quarterback. Like there was throws. He was just missing though. Like as much as those guys were, you know, doing their thing, blanketing some of these Guelph receivers, there were some of these some passes where it was like oh no the guy was open like just overthrowing a guy balls going out of bounds like when there was room to the sideline now having seen yeah what's what what are your jake helfrich it it just reeked of someone who who was not comfortable um you know a lot of times you know the ball wasn't coming out on time again missed receivers like you said i don't know how windy it was at the field but i know it can get very windy and sort of you know kind of a stadium with an open end like that let's say um, but I think like kind of something I pointed out last week is that, you know, the scheme plays a big part for Ottawa. Um, remembering, you know, it's the same DC from I played um, and sort of they're always a team that was going to try and disguise things and do a couple um, unconventional things. You know, one thing I remember in particular is sort of how they would run this cover two look where they would peel the, the wide corners out to be the two deep halves of the field, something that you don't see very often. And for a guy that's still getting used to Canadian football, um, and, you know, trying to have his eyes cover, you know, even larger ground of the field and account for this extra player and this and that, like having a team like Ottawa with the athletes that they have and sort of the scheme that they run, you know, maybe, you know, we should have known better that there was going to be trouble for this kid. Uh, and it was on the day, just yeah. never really looked comfortable. And, you know, credit where credit's due, uh, Ottawa deserves that. And, and, you know, it was Tom had brought it up in on, on Friday's podcast as well that when you look at Helfrich's performance against Waterloo, it really was like a couple big hitters, but like on the whole, the, the day wasn't really all that. And, and, and it was a lot of, uh, you know, not, but it was, you know, they did a really good job last week of getting him on the move and sort of RPO and, you know, doing a couple things off schedule. And I think that's kind of really where he thrived. Um, and in this one, you know, just sort of the RPO game and things like that. They just were not clicking at all. Um, So really, you know, as a quarterback, it's really, you know, what kind of gets you in rhythm is getting that easy stuff to get you rolling. But when you don't have that, then that's when things uh, really can start to fall apart for you. You know, going back to the Ottawa offense, uh, just with it being, you know, even when you like if you want to take away like Oladejo's touchdown, like still across the board, a really strong performance. And we need to talk about the run game for sure. But I mean, I'm I'm loving me some Willie Pierre Dimbongi this year so far. Another strong performance. I mean, two receptions, sixty-two yards. I, I believe touchdown. the guy that came over from Guelph with JP is that correct? Yeah, I didn't realize. I mean, there's a couple guys as like um, AK Ishmael on on defense. Another guy, a former Griffin on that side as well. Um, so I mean, you know. Talking I can tell you it. those guys were having a good yeah. time on the bench at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%. Um I mean and the 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 I think it was on the Gendron uh Gendron uh touchdown um probably you know that was a beautiful ball by by Miracle in the corner of the end zone giving him room to run it down. But I say all that in saying, you know, um you know Dembongi Oladejo have been you know really solid this year. We still haven't seen a guy like Rodney Estime go off for a game. We still haven't seen Tristan Park really go off and so there's just room for them to still get better in terms of the passing attack. But in their run game, I mean, we've talked about JP Simonkinda and what he's done so far this year. Amlakar Polk I mean, holy cow. I, I think some of his big runs towards the end of the game were a product of a Guelph defense that had kind of... I don't want to say the words that I, I describe what I'm thinking, but they they weren't at full tilt. They kind of were thinking about used the to. bus. In, you, uh, in years past... To. But nonetheless, I mean, 10 carries for 116 and a touchdown. JP throwing in 16 carries of his own for 108 and a touchdown. I mean, like we said, I mean, whether 
this is a bit of an outlier game for Miracle in the grand scheme of like what he'll sort of maybe if he comes down to earth a bit. I mean, my goodness. I mean, we talk all about the, the defense and everything like that. But I mean, well, I think coming back to like, you know, the opposite of essentially the point I made for Guelph is sort of that running game really opened up a lot of easy stuff for him to do. And sure, he was completing like a lot of good balls, uh, intermediate and over the middle and stuff like that. But I and sort of what really and Guelph didn't really stop this at all was sort of, you know, your classic zone slice deal that everybody does with, you know, the RPO and the receiver coming around in the flat. And, you know, he's able to hit that a few times and there just wasn't really any Guelph guys around to kind of make the tackle. And they're able to get huge gains on that. And like as a quarterback, uh, adding that to your yardage, yardage total on just a little flip, uh, you know, down the line of scrimmage. I mean, you're more than happy to take that. It really gives you a lot of confidence uh, when you want to take those deeper shots downfield. Yeah. And and you were mentioning that it was a close game in the early going and they were running it well with 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 Smith Guelph that is and there was part of me being like oh you know what like as far as the sort of hierarchy of things I love on the GG's defense I mean not that their D-line is is subpar but it really starts in that secondary and works down through the linebacking core to the D-line I was like you know what this could be a recipe for Guelph if they're able to keep running the ball makes things maybe a bit easier for Helfrich in the past game and all that and you know um, if they do if they do convert those third downs it's not to say you know it could have been close to you know a tie game going into halftime and that kind of thing and you know on the road that can do wonders for you but it, it seemed like you know, they didn't get the first one. They didn't get the second one. It just kind of, you know, they were unable to sustain whatever, you know, momentum they had. Things just fell apart altogether. Yeah. Well, for Guelph, I mean, they might be our new back against the wall team. Not that Max necessarily got their back off the wall, but they showed us some good stuff and well, they returned. Yeah. It's a big one next weekend. You know, well, <laughs> it's in the cards. You know, I might have to make an appearance at that one. It's, uh, you know, I might be wearing black. You know, it's like watching watching your parents fight or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Nate's alluding to uh, Guelph is going home. It is their homecoming um, where they will be welcoming. Mm, welcoming is the wrong word. Where, where they will be taking on and going to battle with uh, the Queen's Golden Gales for Ottawa. They're taking a trip to the KW region to play the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks. So let's put that one to bed. Let's move on to uh, let's go with. Let's go with the team I mentioned as, as not necessarily having their back against the wall, but certainly a statement game for the Master Marauders beating Waterloo at, in Waterloo. Final score in this game, the Master Marauders, 43. The Waterloo Warriors, zero. Here's how I want to set this one up for you. We, you know, we talked about how much you take out of a game, or, you know, certain teams doing against certain opponents, you know, 43 points on a team that's huge that's that that's great you know like that and and it was a more you know we, we saw them put up big numbers against york before it became the one nothing victory however disqualification or whatever you call it sort of factors in what the result actually gets to be but it wasn't not what you wanted to see out of mac in that one and, and ottawa i mean obviously it's an ottawa defense that you know it, it is is so stellar so they didn't have it rolling against them either so 43 points on Waterloo. Now, the week prior, we saw this Guelph team put up 41 on Waterloo. But here's the big rub is that Mac shut down Waterloo completely and Waterloo put up 35 on Guelph. I don't exactly know the question coming from that. I want to throw your way. But just thinking about that comparison, because at this point in the season, we can, you know, we, we're playing this game of of results on how certain teams play against uh, what does it mean yeah we find ourselves asking this everywhere what does that mean (laughs) that's kind of what i'm i guess that's kind of what i'm asking you maybe that's unfair to just throw at you i don't know i it was it was this was the best best performance i think from mcmaster on offense and it started with the fact that they ended up with 211 yards rushing and that's what they've just that's what they've been missing and and still not seeing uh justice allen there but their leading rusher, Jacob Manson, 56 yards. I mean, this is kind of the neat thing with how this stat sheet breaks down. Uh, or, or sorry, uh, Mason, 56 yards for him. Bossette, 53 yards. Braden Kelly. I mean, names that I'm like, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm pretty familiar with OUA football. Doing this for a bit now. Uh, Braden Kelly, 33 yards. Um, Chisholm, 
32 yards, two touchdowns to boot. Duick adding in 28 of his own. I mean, it's kind of the McMaster formula that you know we've seen at their when they're at their best in the passing attack, which is that they're kind of spreading the wealth out. And I feel like we're at least I'm overusing the term running back by committee, but like I don't know, is this the stat, the stats the think? stats bear it out? The numbers don't lie. You know, I don't like to say I'm one of those analytics nerds, but that's that's what we saw in the game. You know what I mean? It was kind of um, you know, good for Mac. I mean, again, you don't want to put too much stock in sort of what you're able to do um, against Waterloo, and that's no shot to Waterloo. But, you know, we've seen teams been, be able to put a point on them so far, uh, bar, you know, York or something like that. Um, and I think I just think it's good to see Mac committed to the run more or less and to make an emphasis on it, because, I mean, it's not as though the passing game has been, you know, completely inept in weeks past. They've had some success. But what's really lacking is anything to sort of complement that. And I think, you know, you think back to sort of, you know, the MAC team that went to the Yates Cup or whatever the a few years ago and sort of the running attack they had with, uh, you know, Jordan Lyons, a guy like that, and a running back who was able to kind of give them that compliment when, you know, Duick was not sort of the five-year, uh, you know, captain of the team, whatever that we see today. So, um, you know, going into a bye week and sort of a game where you kind of, I definitely feel like whether or not you got right, you feel like you got right. You feel like you're getting back on track and going into bye week where you're able to tweak some more things. Um, this is really, I mean, going this week is definitely best case scenario for Mac. Um, but the other way around, probably worst case scenario for Waterloo, Zach. I mean, I would have to think going into this game that Waterloo, you know, players were definitely kind of thinking that this could be a very winnable game for them and set them up in a, in a good position. But what sort of, what happened what went wrong for them yeah well i mean mac defensively like we're kind of saying like you know it's it's been solid for them on the season so far and you know seeing performances by you know we were talking about possible players of the week you know shout out to owen hubert two sacks six total tackles um josh cumber five and a half and a breakup you know talking about just sort of some of the better corners in the league um you know, his name's definitely deserving to be up there. Uh, Nana Yaserbe, ya um, you know, he's been really solid for them in the secondary. And Devontae Ballantine as well. Um, I think he might play half for them, but he's been a menace so far this year um, as well. And like we mentioned, Teo Smith, Carter Blad, both of the interceptions on the game. So defensively, they've been pretty solid. Um, so that's clearly bared out by the results in this one. For, for Waterloo, you know, the, the fact that this was the game that Mac got their run game going, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, Trey Ford moving on is the big notable piece, obviously, and and Tyrell as well, and you know, guys like Andy Mello, um, Deshaun Jupiter, Dean the secondary, but you know, the, the two guys that when you look at their defense, um, just looking at that, that side of the ball, I mean, Jack Hinsberger, Jack Andrews, the, the the brothers Jack, I mean, Hinsberger has two other brothers play on this team, so, but you know. Nine tackles for Hintzberger, seven and a half for Andrews, and add a sack to that one and a breakup. I mean, they're obviously holding it down. You'd think that, like, those two in the middle for them would, you know, against a team that I think part of the reason, you know, we haven't seen Mac run the ball all year. And, you know, Waterloo has its its, its issues, has its holes. But you'd think that, like, they this might not be the one that Mac breaks out on. So I was a little disappointed on that front because, I mean, those guys, I mean, those guys obviously did their thing. The numbers bear that out. So, yeah, I don't know. The, fr- the front line must not have been holding down the doubles. That's all I can kind of infer from, you know, you have two guys out on the second level and, uh, you know, they must have, uh, you know, Mac must have not had too much trouble sort of getting up to them and causing problems for them. Well, and but you me- you mentioned the front line, and that's honestly, you know, as an extension of the conversation of the run game, that that's really been the big, you know, point of emphasis is just the offensive line. I mean, Duick only sacked twice in this game, um, you know, and um, you know Jack Moore who does a great job calling the games for Waterloo was highlighting that it it was definitely the best game so far by the McMaster offensive line. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see as we get move down to some other games in the as the season rolls along whether or not that has been solved or whether you know much like much like when we saw Adam Williams go off against Carlton is like ooh is this a new wrinkle in the fold for UFT or the truth is now bared out now that you know Carlton's can you, you can run on Carlton right so I, I don't want to say that they fixed their issues at offensive line um, just yet and you know Duick was running around a bit still. Um, but you know that that's the biggest thing, really. If they're, if they're making that improvement, 
No, I think I think you're absolutely right. And for for Waterloo, I mean, you know, unfortunately, you got uh, Western next week, and sort of, you know, the Battle of Waterloo the week after, and you know, I think it, it might be tough sledding for them going forward. Um, uh, unfortunately, but you know, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> mentioning the Battle of Waterloo, we'll sort of use that as a jumping off point to perhaps get into our our next game. Um, featuring the other half of that battle of Waterloo uh, in the Lori Golden Hawks, who went into the Lions Den, picked up a victory. Final score, Golden Hawks 32, York Lions 1. I, I, the Lions certainly have a habit of scoring just one point. Um, you know, I, I think the comment I was making um, about going into this game was, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, I, I it's the unfortunate truth, like, that I just from what I've been seeing and what we see in these games that York kind of think the term I used talking with Tom, I think was that they're kind of just the litmus test of just, you'll, you know, you should beat them, but they might reveal something about your team. And they, you know, they, they bring, they bring the ruckus defensively. That's for sure. And uh, we saw young Taylor Elgers might definitely get roughed up a little bit, but I, I just, I, I had a feeling that when we looked at, you know, the Carlton win against York and the Mac win against York. And yeah, they, they were lopsided in the scores, but I just, I didn't, I, 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 it wasn't the statement I was kind of hoping it would be. And I kind of thought a young Laurier team um, in, in pretty much every facet of their team was oddly going to have a, a more substantial victory. Um, so to speak, I mean, obviously that Mac, Mac and Carlton both hosted York and, and, and Laurie had to go on the road. Not that I really think that should factor in too much, though. It seems like it's a pretty nice new digs they have there. But I don't know. I was a little disappointed that it, it took them a while to get it going offensively. Well, the question begs for me is like, you know, we just saw this this Windsor offense be able to sort of go off on U of T a little bit. And, you know, it was definitely a much closer game for Laurier last week against the Blues. Um, granted, again, you know, it's on the road or whatever. But I think, you know, maybe sort of this Laurier offense is not sort of, you know, maybe we gave it a bit too much credit. I mean, to be honest, like York's like, <laughs> it's funny watching the game like, a, you know, it's it's you see sort of York have some success um, and you really – you know, feel a bit for the guys, but it's just like the defense is making some plays and stuff like that. And they have a drive to, you know, kick a field goal or whatever, or they try and punt and just the snaps are all over the place. And it's just, it's not things outside of their control, but it's just like the, the things you, you take for granted or things that should be a given in football that really uh, kill the lions. And from week to week, it really is what gets the other teams going. And it was kind of like, Surprising that, you know, Laurier wasn't able to really like, um, let's say, pounce on the opportunities as much as other teams had. And sure, they were able to run the ball, which is great. I mean, fine, fantastic. But in terms of, you know, the passing game and things like that, pretty meh. I mean, sometimes that can happen when you go and, you know, you think you have a big win the week before and it's like, oh, we got to go play York and sort of, you know, the constant thing we were talking about playing down your competition. But um, it certainly makes me question Laurie a bit more going into this matchup next weekend with Ottawa. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned the run game. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, as far as like any of us having like our guys, you know, I feel like Tom's really taken a hard stance on like it's hard not to be like, well, I guess he's Joey Zorn's his guy just because he keeps talking about him. I mean, I'd love to get some. And we did the stock watch last year. I mean, Tom's all invested in in, in in Zorn Incorporated. I feel like Quentin Scott is your is your guy. One one of your guys. I mean, he obviously won fifty seven. I mean, you got to give some love for that and the touchdown Nelms with ninety one as well. Um, you know the. <laughs> Talking about on the York side of things, you know, there were moments where I, I you know, the, the stats might bear it out uh, and, you know, they're not, you know, groundbreaking by any means. But there were moments where I was like, you know, this does look like the most effective they've been, specifically like with, with Noah passing the ball. And I'm, I'm you know, no um, bright mind in terms of analyzing quarterback play, but it almost looked like at times like he. He wasn't really slinging in there almost like he just had the guy because so many times on like you'll see on a crossing route or something. He'll just miss the guy and just, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's it's a faux pas in general where it says don't like aim it, just throw it. Or I forget how that term usually goes, but I almost felt with him. It's like just like 
just hit him. Just put it right in there. Just let him catch it. And so there's a few times, but then, you know, they have a couple nice plays, maybe pick up a first down. And it doesn't net into too much after that. Um, and, and to sort of make matters worse, too, I mean, uh, last thing I'll just say on that is, you know, Malchus Alunga, a guy that we've, you know, seen you know, have some really strong performances, most notably against Carlton last week. Um, only 11 for 55 in this one, but he looked like he was getting a bit danged up and as well with Alfred Olay, who still finished six receptions and 73 yards and absolutely a beast in the return game from them for, for them. Um, um, especially in that Carlton game as well. Look, he got a little banged up. So, I mean, you know, we haven't seen Darnell Jarrett for them now for a couple of weeks. We've still not and seen. The, the, uh, that's, you know, another, another problem with this team is we mentioned sort of at the beginning of the year, the light roster that they're carrying. They don't have a lot of depth. I think they were running, you know, with an emergency punter at times in the game. Uh, so, yeah, something to keep an eye on, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you'd want to think that this – performance was you know would give them some confidence going into you know the coveted Argo Cup game the Red Blue Bowl uh, next week yeah no for sure and you know we talk about some of the homecomings or not true homecomings but you know old faces in new places and this game did have one of those in Damian Jamison the former linebacker for the York Lions making his return in uh you know Golden Hawks attire finishing with six and a half tackles um good to see a guy a guy in Patrick Burke Jr. who looked like he got a bit dinged up um couple weeks ago back in there for Laurier on defense and um you know I think at the end of the day though there were some signs of life on that Laurier offense that we were we were liking and once again you know the rushing yards you know say what you want about the opponent still nice to put up that kind of yardage I think this is still a team that despite some of the players that we've talked about a bunch moving on on that defense I think this is still like that's I think where their identity is going to be um but we'll see I mean t- you know big, Taylor, big test next yeah. week Big test next week, indeed. Um, that, of course, being at home against Ottawa, as we already set up. And then, yeah, York with the Argo Cup, Red Blue Bowl, Battle Toronto, whatever you want to call it, 1 o'clock at Varsity. So, um, always, a, that'll that'll be a cool affair. I'm contemplating coming in for it. I know Dakota, our, our, our good pal, uh, would, would uh, love the support. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I've been to a couple of those games and just the... Anyways, it's a, it's a, you know, not always the best games, but it's a fun event to be at. So let's put that one to bed. Let's move into our, our evening affairs. We'll start with the uh, the first of which, the 6 o'clock game where the Queens Golden Gales returned home from their, their loss on the road at Western and beat up on the Carlton Ravens. Final score, Queens 49, Carlton 17. You know, we, you obviously got some time to talk about the performance of James Keenan in this one. Uh, again, if somehow you're still listening, but you missed it at the beginning, 19 of 22, 364 in the air and four touchdowns. Um, you know, what's been interesting is seeing the, the, the prominence of the ascension of this young receiver and Aiden O'Neill. You know, we obviously look at a guy like Richard Burton who's been a bit banged up. Now Nathan Falcone, who's been in the system for a bit, and you know he had a nice day as well. Um, Ajong Chol, who's been there for a bit as well. But I mean, O'Neill um, really coming in strong. I don't know if you know much about him, but as we were kind of saying as well, you know, this run game it, it really seems like they just have a great running attack, and they can just plug guys in because this Yan Longa, uh, a name that n- you know no one just sort of following. OUA football outside of that Queens room knew about until this last week, finishing 15 carries, 112 yards, and three touchdowns. You were able to sort of cover up, uh, uncover, I should say, a bit of his story. What sort of, what are some of the things we know about uh, Mr. Longa? I think, I think we uncovered <laughs> some things, but um, you know, he's a guy that went down and did prep in the states, and I think you know, <laughs> doing some reading. Uh, you know, from from some local articles and things like that, it seemed like you know he had some D one offers. Um, I think he was committed to West Virginia at some point. You know, unable to re- uncover sort of you know the return to, to Canada and Queens and, and things like that. But you know, obviously, you watch the game; he's an incredibly talented guy. And it's like, I don't know what what on earth is going on with Queens and sort of you know what the first week is Jaden Blackman. Then everyone's talking about Anthony Souls, and you know now it's you know, uh, longer and knowing that, you know, Kasseri was around earlier and things like that. Where, where the hell did all these guys come from? And, 
you know, it's such a deep running back room. I mean, you think about sort of Western and sort of the backfields they had over the years. I mean, this is, you know, a special group for sure. And, uh, you know, certainly had their fun under the lights uh, last night. Yeah. And, you know, that's obviously, I mean, I mean this Keenan performance was immaculate to say the least, but that's really, you know, where that strength is for them offensively. Um, you know, defensively, before we move over to talk about some of the things for Carlton, the one thing, though, I mean, obviously, this game wasn't really a problem for them, but, you know, not seeing number four out there. Um, for Queens and Ethan Martin, if that's something long term, that's that's going to be a, a, a tough that's going to be a tough go for them. So, um, well, also <laughs> a couple guys on the Queens defense uh, showing up to the game with clubs on their hands. So also, you know, guys getting a bit banged up, it seems. But I think, you know, talking about that defense and sort of, you know, you look at the scoreline after the game, it's like, OK, Queens dominated. But there was a point in sort of the second quarter that where this game you know, had some, let's say, shootout potential um, because, you know, Tanner DeYoung was sort of going off a little bit at times and able to just rip down the field seemingly at a moment's notice um, and, you know, had a chance to make it a, a one-score game early. Gets picked off in the end zone by Miller Malenkin and, you know, Queens goes back down the field. Next thing you know, then the very next drive, DeYoung does the exact same thing, drives him all the way down the field and throws another interception into the end zone. Uh, so two scores potentially right before half for Carlton wiped away. Um, and that was really, you know, again, referring back to the Guelph game, really just a backbreaker. You're on the road, you know, against Queens, who is sort of, you know, let's say our consensus number two at the moment. You know you can't make mistakes like that. And, uh, you know, your luck's going to run out at one point or another. And really just everything kind of fell apart for that after Carlton. You know, the second half – Ended up being a bit of a snooze fest, not many points. And even at one point, uh, we saw DeYoung get taken out of the game for the series seemingly to kind of get a little reset going because he was having some issues with the defense after a while. But, um, I mean, if you're Carlton, it really – like, I don't want to say a missed opportunity, not to say that they would have ended up winning the game. But, you know, just mistakes that you absolutely cannot make on the road uh, against a team like Queens. Yeah, maybe similar to how we've talked about some of the other games like – like with the Ottawa Queens game where you know Ottawa was able to keep that competitive and just at a certain point the better team will just pull away in this case the better team won but pulled away earlier than perhaps it could have been the case if they were executing and it should be noted I mean you know Carlton was you know playing without the you know uh, the brothers Ferdinand uh, Denny and Kasim and I, I don't know um I, I was too I was tuning in a bit late on that one I don't know if they had mentioned on the broadcast um the reason for that but that's going to be a blow to their team literally on all facets of the ball where those uh two young men impact the game but you know you mentioned young you know having a little mojo going at times and obviously the you know they were talking about it in the mac waterloo game that one of the backbreakers for mac so far has has been their red zone execution in settling for threes instead of being able to get touchdowns um but it's just still the inability since that week one game against mac to get josh ferguson going 13 carries for 57 and I I don't know like like his his is what he's been able to do there it speaks for itself like he's I I don't think he was a flash in the pan by any means like we saw it earlier this year he was able to put up yards so whether that's the the boys up front or whether that's I, I don't know what it is but it's certainly disappointing because like when he's at his best he's up there with the best of them in the league I mean there's an interesting parallel with him I'd say and a guy like JP Simonkinda in Ottawa just being the kind of I mean, maybe you could throw in like Winati as far as the kind of more bruising type of backs that we have now. You were mentioning Jordan Lyons for for Mac uh, a few years back. He was kind of that mold as well. Um, so I, it's disappointing because like, you know, once again, like I, I, I cheer. I want to see nothing but success for all these teams to the best of their abilities. And once again, Carlton just doesn't seem to I mean, doesn't seem to be functioning as at the capacity they could be. Well, it's funny because in that week one game, I remember thinking to myself that this was like an offense that knows what they want to do. They have their identity. You know, they're running screens, they're running the football, they're doing all the the right things you're supposed to do. And seemingly since then, it's they haven't been able to click at all since then. So um, they don't have a lot of time to figure it out, though, because, you know, from here on out, every game is is big playoff implications and sort of having, 
the upstart Windsor Lancers coming to town next week. Uh, you know, I don't want to necessarily christen that one game of the week just yet, but I, it's definitely one we'll be watching very closely um, for next week. And in terms of one, we'll definitely keep it in mind when we think back at the end of the season on the final standings. Oh, most definitely. And as we've already said, for Queens, they're making the trip to the uh, the Royal City to take on the Guelph Griffins on Guelph's homecoming. So I, I'd say both those games are, are very, very interesting. Um, Sorry, do you remember what happened the last time Queens was at Guelph's homecoming? I think it was 2018. 2018. I, I feel like you're trying to throw a softball up my, my way, but I, <laughs> you I'm definitely not. don't remember. But uh, no. uh, the Queens Gales came out victorious uh, on the day. Um, gotcha. No, uh, I was thinking of when Queens went to Guelph's homecoming in 2015. 20, remember 20, 2014. And I think, you know, there's an expiry date on that one, Zach. Once it gets past <laughs> like five years or so, then it's, you know, it's all in the past. And even if Fair you want enough. to talk, we could talk, go and then talk about 2015. You know what I mean? Oh, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, shoot. Yeah, that was, that was that's egg on my face. I don't want to talk about 2015, but. Six six nothing in twenty fourteen. Anyways, let's go into our final game of the of the day, uh, the game that briefly gave us hope that we'd get a competitive ball game. I mean, we kind of mentioned that some of these games have had moments of uh, of of that competitive spirit, but it was the UFT Blues traveling to uh, to Windsor and falling to the Lancers. Final score in this game: Windsor thirty seven, UFT seven. Uh, you know, the big thing in this one, obviously, is, you know, you look at, you know, this is Windsor coming off the bye. Joey Zorn has been tearing it up. Um, I mean, in, in the few games that he's had so far. And, it, you know, just kind of based on how the game played out and you know, looking at the numbers, it seemed like a situation where UFT is like, OK, like if you're going to beat us, like do it in the air. And as we were kind of alluding to, I mean. You know, much like with Ben Miracle, uh, young young Danny Skelton, we saw a few touches from him last year. Uh, Sam Gerard being a bit dinged up uh, last year in his final year at the helm for Windsor, but um, you know, nineteen for thirty, two fifty nine in the air and the inter- and pardon me, and, and, and a touchdown. Um, so I, you know, for him as well, I imagine that has to be one of his strongest performances. And, and, you know, as we saw in the Guelph game, you know, with Josh Sim as well for them, another American kid, which. You have to imagine if you're bringing an American specifically at quarterback, um, that's well, probably a lot of competition. And, and the shim, the shim guy actually um, was at St. Mary's first, um, and I think mm. he ended up transferring from there at least. So I mean, you know, American guy, but I don't think he's necessarily uh, the same sort of American we think of when we think of Jake Helfrich and coming from South Carolina or something like that. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Well, okay, so let's dive into this one because, you know, in the early going, it was, you know, 7-6 for a piece. And then... Uh, well, it, this just... was, it, was a funny, it was a funny game um, because I could tell you, you know, the game ends with 37 unanswered for Windsor. But U of T, uh, you know, sure, they trade a couple punts early. But then U of T put together a really nice drive capped off by a nice touchdown from Kinsale to Daniel Diodati. Um, and that was it for the Blues. I mean, in terms of offense, they didn't get really much else going the rest of the game. Um, and it's credit to that Windsor defense, you know, and sort of field position played a huge role. Um, you know, the Blues starting in their own end a lot early and unable to put together the one first down, two first downs. And sort of you kind of saw that eventually weighing on that Blues defense. They're on the field for a long time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just sort of the pressure they were getting on Kinsale Phillip. Obviously not a guy you're going to sack too many times. A lot of those potential sacks turn into one or two yard gains at the very least for him trying to run the ball, but, uh, you know, looked uncomfortable the entire game. And that's borne out in the, the quarterback stats you can see for Toronto. Sure, maybe unable to force, you know, the turnovers and things like that. But, I mean, it was just they couldn't really do anything. Um, it really kind of the opposite of how I thought this one might play out because going in, you know, thinking back to those Windsor games earlier in the year and just you know, being honest, absolutely abysmal trying to get anything going through the air. And I thought, you know, if they're able to stop the run, Windsor can't do anything. It's the complete opposite. And, you know, Danny Skelton looked like, you know, a fifth-year guy in this game. Uh, spreading the ball around, looked very comfortable, you know, taking off a couple times to get first downs. And it was really a veteran performance. And, you know, if you're Windsor, you got to be really confident going to next week, feeling that, okay, you know what? 
we were able to kind of muscle out, you know, a couple wins. And now we, you know, we got our guys. So really kind of really, you know, momentum building for this long nine hour trek they have to Carlton next week. Yeah. And when you talk about the discrepancy offensively, I mean, just diving in to the actual numbers of it, I mean, Windsor 479 total yards total offense, UFT 157, Windsor with almost 20 minutes more time of possession, which when we look at how we expect now that we've seen a few games from Windsor, how we'd expect them to pick up wins, how they picked up that win in Guelph, chewing up the, you know, chewing up clock, running the ball, still 30 attempts um, r- rushing it. But, you know, it's surprising when they are, were able to get the passing game going, normally not as time consuming, if you will, as if it were, you know, Joey's only 10 attempts. Like if, if he's getting up to that, you know, high teens and into the twenties, like that's when you would expect them to be having that big a discrepancy in terms of the time of possession, um, which I think speaks both to seeing, you know, on the day, the total rushing yards for, you know, Windsor 173. I mean, I think we've, I feel like we've seen Joey put up more than that in, I might've had more than that in the, in the, in the Guelph game. I can't remember just on his own. Um, but I, so as a product, both, I think of this Windsor offense clicking and as you already highlighted, just UFT just really not being able to, get it going offensively for themselves either um yeah there's this i we we talk so much about the 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 Windsor home secret sauce whatever we want to call that and that and other reasons had me thinking that you know this would be a lancer victory i didn't like yourself i didn't think it was going to be this one-sided no and i mean you know we all you always talk about sort of uh, the same day travel and same day travel for a night game in particular can be a bit strange, uh, but not strange enough to, you know, <laughs> lose by 30 extra points or or something like that. And, you know, we're at a point where, you know, we're finding out about teams and sort of I think UFT is really at a big reflection point right now um, where, you know, a lot of people saw them as sort of this, you know, potential playoff team and things like that. Um, Windsor definitely sort of cementing themselves more and more in that conversation but uh toronto you know you got york next week and we kind of see teams sputter against york and you know i don't think you really afford to do that right now because uh you know you're feeling really good going into this and then you know you're in a situation where you know it went that bad for you um you you're gonna really need to sort of reevaluate where you are and kind of you know figure some things out going to the second half of the year because Given the schedule, I mean, it's it's York at home. You know, it's Waterloo who, you know, we've established is definitely a winnable game, a beatable team for Toronto, um, you know, the Western game. And then finishing, you know, with Mac, I mean, there's still a, a path there to the playoffs. You know, I would feel comfortable saying there's going to be at least three wins there. Um, I'm saying finishing with three wins. And then, you know, really their game, their season coming down to that Mac game at the end. So, um you know, you got to really turn this around and start heading back in the other direction here. Yeah, I mean, you look at them playing Waterloo. You look at them playing Mac at the end of the season. Guelph still still has Mac on on their schedule too. Just looking at some of those teams kind of clumped together towards the bottom. Um, yeah, this is you know, it's it's funny. You look at some of these the teams these teams with um, losing records, and I, I don't think that necessarily speaks to a. Um, a dearth of talent. I think it's just that, as we've kind of said, a lot of these teams on any given day will beat each other uh, one way or the other. Whether teams now, you know, maybe this is this is indicative that teams have more time to sort of, you know, coming out of training camp, having a bit more time to sort of come into their own. Maybe we will start to see certain teams pull away, not just in the standings, but well, in the standings, but as a product of them really establishing you know talking about you know seeing early on what we thought Carlton was going to be doing to give themselves success Ottawa's a team that I think has thoroughly shown us what they're you know what they're made of and how they win games Windsor gave us a new wrinkle in this one showing that they're gonna be able to spread it around the air a bit too Western I mean whatever it's you know they're on their bio I shouldn't even bring them up we don't need to talk about them Queens mentioned being a bit dinged up on defense but you know they've shown the recipe for them for success for them as well and then you add in the fact that like you get you, you, you that you know a guy like um 
you know, um, a guy like Keenan has the upper limit of being able to put up a stellar game like that. So we might start to see a bit of certain teams pull away. But yeah, there's definitely some fun schedule watching to do with a few of these teams. Um, U of T uh, as much as any in terms of just how things might go. And yeah, it's um, we'll see where we'll see where they end up. And you know, that, that York game, we, I mean, you talk about the trouble they had offensively in this one. I mean, I keep saying it. I mean, <laughs> York, we talk about team identities. I mean, this goes back to when we were playing, man. I mean, York is just going to make you just, you know. They've always you, been a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Um, well, let, let's wrap it up there. Uh, any any last thoughts on, on what we saw or looking ahead on the schedule, Nate? Uh, I think, you know, it's great to see sort of the, you know, a bit of, I don't want to say unpredictability, but a bit of, uh, you know, difference in our picks from week to week. And I think it's going to continue next week as well. And sort of a great slate of games and sort of, you know, at least two situations where I think, you know, very close to being a pick em, And then sort of obviously uh, having the narrative line there with Queens Guelph, uh, definitely exciting weekend to come. Yeah. You know, even, even being out here in London, homecoming against waterloo just doesn't feel all that exciting as an event to attend so you know the guelph homecoming you're mentioning you might be going there yeah the battle battle of toronto are, uh, yeah it's very some very intriguing games even if not all of them will be you know well we'll see we'll see we'll we'll set all that up on friday with me and tom hop on the pod uh hoping to get c to c back on uh wednesday for you all um this week once again apologies for not getting that um up and running last week um, especially that it was I think you know, some good games out of the queue but nonetheless that'll do it for me and Nate here so yeah we'll be talking to you later this week at the 55